I want to make one thing perfectly clear. This show is not about lumberjacks. My name is Christopher Grunland, and every month I share a story. Sometimes the stories contain truths, but most of the time they're made up. Sometimes the stories are funny, other times they're serious. But you have my word about one thing. I will never, ever share a story about lumberjacks. This time Daniel, recently divorced and unemployed, breaks into his childhood home to see if something in his old bedroom closet is still there. All right, let's get to work. The Other Side Daniel measured everything by the divorce. Would quitting his job to travel the world be worse than finding out Kimberly had been having an affair with a co-worker for two years? Would finally enrolling in mixed martial arts classes be any worse than Kimberly calling him a pussy in therapy and then refusing all future sessions? Would getting caught breaking into his childhood home be worse than the day Kimberly told him that it was official? Their marriage was over? Getting into his old house wasn't difficult. The crawl space beneath the porch led to an opening in the basement that, at the time, was above his father's old workbench. When Daniel was a kid and made the realization that anyone in the know could enter their house simply by pulling back a bit of siding at the side concealed by a large juniper bush, it unnerved him any time he was home alone, and even when trying to fall asleep at night flanked on one side by his big sister's bedroom and his mother's room on the other. Sliding beneath his front porch for the first time in over 30 years, Daniel saw a sliver of light at the far side of the crawl space. The current occupants had placed a board covered with insulation over the opening, but they hadn't fully sealed it off. When he moved it aside, he was surprised to see the metal workbench his father made a couple years before he died, when Daniel was four years old. Stepping from the crawl space and onto the workbench, it was still an immovable construct in a basement every bit as creepy as it was when he was young. The boiler hissed and groaned, and the sounds emitted by the sump pump still seemed to come from the very core of the earth. The smell of mildew hung heavy in the air, and the salamander he saw on the way to the basement door appeared to have been there since his childhood, even though he knew that wasn't possible. When Daniel opened the basement door, he smelled it. The scent of the other side. Nineteen seventy six. Daniel's idea was simple create a place of his own where he could get away from everything. It was not lost on him that all he needed to do was close his bedroom door and he had privacy. His mother and sister craved their time alone as well. They were like a family of cats, gathering together for meals, and then heading off to do their own things until it was time for bed. But even though Daniel's bedroom was one of the smaller rooms in the house, it still didn't feel tight enough to be a place of escape. There was something soothing about a smaller place, so he cleared out his closet. Daniel's bedroom was a mess, so spreading the contents of his closet around the room didn't make things look much worse. 
He kept his clothes in his dresser and all the winter clothes in the closet in the front room, so most of what he'd crammed into the closet were old toys and books. Once the closet was devoid of all possessions, Daniel worked to make it the perfect tiny space. He hung a black light poster of Godzilla on the wall and replaced the bright white bulb with a black light that brought out all the best features of the King of the Monsters. He unrolled his sister's sleeping bag and spread it across the closet floor, and then did the same with his, providing a soft space on which to lie and get away from the world. A couple pillows made it more nest-like, and dragging his stereo speakers in and positioning them on each side of the closed door rounded out the perfect retreat. Daniel was in the closet, listening to his big sister's copy of Led Zeppelin's fourth album when he first smelled it. As the Battle of Evermore played, the closet filled with a scent that Daniel could only describe as alpine, crisp air untainted by technology, lupins, and an earthy sweetness like a mixture of dirt and cake. A cool breeze moved across his bare foot and along the floor. He put his hand by the crack beneath the closed door but felt no air rushing in. Moving his hands around his black light womb, he traced the draft to the far wall. It made no sense. Breezes didn't pass through wooden plaster as though nothing were there. He put his hand to the wall and leaped back when an oval portal, the perfect size for a human to pass through, first glowed and then opened wide to the kind of realms he imagined while listening to Led Zeppelin, Jethro Tull, and Rush. Two thousand sixteen. Now, though, there was nothing. Putting his hand to the wall in his old closet revealed no portal to the other side. Tapping around on the floor, other walls, and even the ceiling revealed no portal. But the smell was there. In fact, the entire house seemed permeated by it. From the moment Daniel opened the basement door, it was like it dropped down on top of him, and it only got stronger as he neared his old bedroom. With nothing there revealed, he wandered around the rest of his childhood home. The scent seemed strongest in his mother's old bedroom. He tapped every surface, hoping to open the portal, but had no luck. He pulled his phone from his pocket and played the Battle of Evermore while searching all the rooms in the house, hoping the song that played when he first saw the opening to the other side would somehow uncover it once more. It didn't. 1976 to 1985. Daniel stepped through the portal to the other side and was surprised that as cool as the air felt, he wasn't chilled. Patches of snow gave way to the softest grass he ever felt beneath his feet, and the scent of the land didn't seem nearly as heady as it did when sitting in his closet. He turned back and looked where he came from, amazed to see his closet on the other side of the portal in a large oak tree. He stepped away from the glowing Godzilla on his closet wall and began walking deeper into the other side. Everything seemed a bit bigger and brighter than photos of the places he dreamed of visiting. Switzerland and New Zealand, Scandinavia and the Scottish Highlands, the Himalayans and Patagonia. Daniel slapped himself in the face just to make sure he was awake. And then it happened. The sound of a running march and the clatter of armored plates replaced the sound of wind through treetops and the singing of distant birds. 
A small platoon of malformed creatures in armor made of bone and skin moved in behind Daniel, cutting off any escape back to his world. The taut skin on their hideous faces glistened in the light of a sun nearing its descent behind mountains so tall that Daniel couldn't tell where they gave way to clouds. They seemed twice as tall as Mount Everest. Nas Regul Sara! Daniel looked back in time to see the creatures all turn in pursuit. He ran as fast as he could, but the band chasing him closed the distance with little effort. Daniel heard them on his heels, laughing and sneering, banging their weapons against their shields and their armor. When he turned back to see what he was sure would be his end, he saw some of the group go wide-eyed and halt, while others peeled off to their left and right in retreat. Daniel ran into what he thought was a tree, but when he regained his senses and looked up, towering over him was a beast several times the size of anything in the group hunting him. The only way he could describe the creature was an upright bull with a massive human body covered in blue tattoos. The imposing figure took two big steps over Daniel sitting on the ground, positioning itself between him and the hungry horde behind him. Most of the creatures turned and ran, the few that decided to attack were dispatched with ease by the huge axe in the bull's hands. When the surviving creatures had fled, the enormous bull man turned back toward Daniel and extended a hand bigger than a hubcap. I am Mr. Tunmar. You are? I, uh, my, my name is Daniel. Daniel Pearson. Well, Daniel Pearson, let's get you someplace safe. With that, Mr. Tunmar's axe glowed blue. He held it in his left hand and placed his right hand on Daniel's back, covering his shoulders. For a moment, it felt like being underwater. Everything seemed to shift and shimmer. When his head cleared, Daniel found himself outside a towering building built into the side of a mountain. All around him, twisting cobblestone streets spread out through the hamlet. It looked like something from a travel magazine featuring a medieval village along the Mediterranean coast. Two guards standing to the sides of the entrance to the building before them bowed, and Mr. Tunmar led Daniel inside. Blue designs similar to the tattoos on Mr. Tunmar's chest were inlaid into the smooth, shining marble floor. In the center, a large circle with a stylized tree inside. When Daniel looked up, he saw a lithe figure with long blonde hair sitting on a throne before him. The obvious leader was surrounded by a band of advisors consisting of an armored dwarf wielding a hammer almost as big as Mr. Tunmar's axe, a tall woman with pointed ears and a gown that seemed to give off its own light, a knight in silver armor bearing a shield bigger than Daniel. The shield bore the same stylized tree and laid into the floor in the center of the grand room. Mr. Tunmar led Daniel to the figure seated on the throne. Daniel Pearson, may I introduce you to Andaluan Elomar? That's how it began. For years, no matter how bad life at home seemed, no matter how wicked bullies acted or how lonely Daniel felt, he was never more than a handful of hours away from visiting Mr. Tunmar, Andaluan Elomar, Azum Axebiter, Ilariel Lou Warren, and Homlin the Purehearted. In his fifth year, Daniel was made a member of the Circle of Sangal. Ilariel Lou Warren produced from a fold in her gown a silver wand with a blue crystal at its end. 
She dragged the point over the surface of Daniel's arm, drawing a tree surrounded by a circle. The mark glowed blue as it was made, and then faded into a scar that didn't hurt at all. Back on Daniel's side, his mother lost it. What the hell did you do to your arm? Daniel couldn't say, Mom, I've been going to this other realm through a portal in my closet while you're in your bedroom getting high at night. So instead he said, I just thought it was cool, like the opening of Kung Fu. Two thousand sixteen. Daniel returned to his old bedroom for another try in his closet. The room was now an office, but he could imagine it exactly as it was when he was ten. He entered the closet, but the wall was just a wall. As he sat on the floor beside old printers and cables, he wondered if he suffered some kind of extreme trauma as a child, and imagined the other side as an escape from something horrible he blocked from actual memory. The visits were too real, though, and he still bore the circle of Sangle on his forearm to prove it. Daniel tried remembering every trip through, hoping to trigger something he was missing. He had tried everything that ever worked, though. The only thing he couldn't recreate in his memory were the circumstances of his last trip through the portal, when he was a junior in high school. He remembered going to the other side, but not coming back. Just as Daniel was about to call it quits and leave the house he grew up in, he heard a car making its way down the gravel driveway. It stopped, and the engine turned off. The closing of the car door, and then the sound of keys at the living room door. Footfalls coming up the three steps to the kitchen. Someone tossing keys onto the kitchen table. A cabinet opened, and the sound of something being placed on the table. Footsteps into his sister's old bedroom and then the sliding of a chair at the kitchen table. A sigh as somebody eased the weight of a workday gone by into the creaking chair, followed by the popping of a cork. The glug-glug glugging from a bottle, and a glass being swirled on the kitchen table. Inhalation, and another sigh, this one releasing any remnant of stress. A phone buzzed, and Daniel quickly brought his hand to his pocket, checking to see if it was his. In the kitchen. Yes? Daniel knew the voice. I told you in the release meeting this morning that we'll be ready for tomorrow. What? A stressed sigh and a long sip. Okay. All right. Okay. Give me time to get a bite to eat, and I'll log in and fix that. Okay, okay. Yes. Goodbye. Shit. Daniel stood up and poked his head outside the closet, looking into the kitchen through a small gap between the old bedroom door near the hinges. It couldn't be, but it was. The figure sitting at the kitchen table was quite a bit heavier than the last time Daniel saw him, and the tips of his ears were tucked into his long hair pulled back into a ponytail. But there was no mistaking those facial features. He stepped into the kitchen. And a Lewin? In one quick move, the person at the kitchen table spun around and came to a standing position with a drawn bow ready to loose the arrow aimed directly at Daniel's heart. Don't shoot! Daniel? Yes. And Lewin Elamar relaxed the bow's string and set it and the arrow back in the corner from which they were retrieved. What are you doing here? Um, 
I, my wife left me. I lost my job. Things are really shitty right now, and I thought you thought you'd see if it was still here. Daniel nodded. Andaluan stepped to the cupboard and produced a wine glass. He filled it from the bottle on the table and offered it to Daniel. Sangalwain. He hadn't tasted it in decades, but a sip brought back the memory of the first time a goblet was offered to him in Andaluan's prestigious hall. It was definitely not like the sips of wine he stole from the gallon jug of Carlo Rossi his mother kept in the refrigerator. What are you doing here, Daniel said. Living a life in which no harm will come to me. Daniel paused and then said, Did something bad happen on the other side? Something bad was always happening on the other side, Daniel Pearson. You came to our side. I began visiting yours. While your house was empty during the day, I came through. I watched your television. I wandered your streets. I studied your technology, and I was always struck by how safe you were at home. But I was always safe on the other side, Daniel said. Only because you had us to protect you. What do you think would have happened had Mr. Tunmar not helped you the first time you stepped through? Daniel smiled. How is he? Mr. Tunmar. He went back to the mountains where he was born after the fall of Valmorn. We all went our separate ways after that. I came here. Many of those you knew as a child have since crossed over the river of Renhelm. Daniel wasn't sure he wanted to know, but he couldn't help himself. A Zoom Axebiter? Killed by a dragon. Ilariel Luwarren? Turned to sand by a warlock. Homlin the Purehearted? A paper cut. It got infected and he was without salve or potions, and it was a week's walk to the nearest healer. He died beneath a tree that bore his name until Skagorks raised the forest to prove their allegiance to Aztoth the Feared. Daniel couldn't help himself. When he was done crying, he finished his glass of Sangalwain and stared at its rim. What is it you're running from, Daniel Pearson? Huh? Why are you here? I don't know, Daniel said, and I think that's the problem. What is it you want to do? Not for work. Deep down, what is it you want from your life? Daniel poured himself another glass and took a sip. I want all that I've lost back. My job, my wife, everything. What kind of work do you do? I'm a network administrator. Or I was until I was laid off. Andaluan nodded and then said, I can open the portal for you. Before I do, please hear me. Time only moves forward, Daniel Pearson. The past can be a great weight if you let it. No matter how far you run or where you go, if you choose to pick up that weight, you will always move slowly. I say this as one who will live a thousand human lifetimes if that is my choosing. I offer you two things right now as a friend. One, a job where I work. My word may not carry quite as much as it did in Sangal, but I have made the acquaintance of several people in the HR department. Or two, I will open the portal for you. Know this, though. Once you step through this time, there is no coming back. Daniel swirled his glass on the table, watching the crystals in the deep red liquid shimmer like rubies. 
He took a sip and said, I want to see it all again. That is what I thought you would say. Andalouin walked into Daniel's old bedroom and went to the closet. He closed his eyes and chanted in the language he only spoke with Alariel Lou Warren. From where he stood, Daniel couldn't see the portal to the other side open, but he could see the glow in its light. Ah, that smell. It is done. Andalouin stepped aside and Daniel entered the closet. He could see the meadow leading to the Grand Mountains in the distance. He remembered the myriad times spent in good company, but he also remembered the excitement in his first years with Kimberly before it all went wrong. He stared into the portal to the other side. You seem hesitant, Andalouin said. There's something I always wondered. What is that? Why can't I remember my last trip over? He felt Andalouin's hand on his shoulder. Because, my friend, you died. We were attacked, escorting you back home. We sacrificed the Tree of Sangle to bring you back to life. After that, we sealed the portal for good. Daniel watched the flowers swaying in the breeze. It was all just one step away. He put his hand through, letting the cold air that felt so perfect wind through his fingers like hair. He wiggled his fingers, letting the cool wind permeate every pore. He pulled his hand back. A paper cut? Excuse me? Homlin the Purehearted really died from an infected paper cut? Indeed, he did. Daniel pulled his phone from his pocket and opened the camera. He looked at the other side through the screen before turning it off and putting it back. He stared through the portal, realizing he didn't need to capture the image. It would always be there, jumbled in with all his other memories. Good, bad, and everything in between. You have an email address, I assume? Of course I do. Andalouine at gmail.com Daniel left the closet and looked around his old bedroom before stepping into the kitchen. Excellent. I'll send my resume your way when I get home. A big thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks. Theme music by Ergo Fizmiz, and all other music this episode is by Chad Crouch, aka Poddington Bear, released under a Creative Commons license. Not About Lumberjacks is also released under a Creative Commons license. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the show, the voice talent, and the music. And if you want to help out with the show, please share it or leave a rating or review on iTunes. Next month on Not About Lumberjacks, a pocket watch given to a woman by her grandfather does much more than simply telling the time. Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp.